What is going on, my movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast. You guys know what it is. Every week, I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. This week, the long-awaited arrival of Nomadland onto Hulu. We're going to be talking about the blurred lines between documentary and narrative films through the lens of an Oscar favorite. Then on the streaming front, we've got a hit Netflix thriller. We got a buzzy HBO documentary and one of the best popcorn movies of all time, bar none. So a lot to look forward to in this episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you are not subscribed to my newsletter, you can find that at mattcraig.substack.com. And as I always say, I really appreciate it if you would share the word on the podcast or the newsletter with somebody who is looking for some streaming suggestions. But until we get to all that, it's time to dive into Nomadland. One of the least discussed trends over the past couple decades of movies is the blurred lines between documentary and narrative filmmaking. Until about 30 years ago, this was no concern. Documentaries were dry, educational, and mostly archival affairs, while films were the grand dream factory. One told true stories in a boring way, the other fantastical stories in an exciting way. No longer. Documentaries like Free Solo and Boy State in recent years are as cinematic as any narrative feature, from the sweeping cinematography to the dramatic story arcs, And we've seen fictional films tell real-life stories in a way that can feel even more true than a documentary could ever be. Think of the vulnerability of Steve Jobs that the man himself would have never admitted, or the drama of Apollo 13 that could have never been captured. These days, either format can be cinema, a word Martin Scorsese would be proud of me for using. When done well, cinema is a lens through which we can see the world in a different way. When done really well, it can affix affix that lens permanently to our worldview and change the way we see the world forever. That introduction helps contextualize the often undefinable work of Chloe Zhao. People weren't quite sure what to make of her excellent 2017 effort, The Writer, which combined both fiction and nonfiction elements to powerfully tell the story of a cowboy trying to come of age after a near-fatal head injury. In Nomadland, she's proven her style can scale up to include a star like Frances McDormand and veteran character actor David Strathairn in a world in a world of modern-day van-dwelling nomads. Every other character is a non-actor, playing themselves on screen, and in many instances their dialogue is both framed and executed like a documentary interview. Much of the interactions within scenes appear to be improvised, though I'm not sure that's the right word for it if non-actors are behaving as they normally would if there were no cameras there. This construction makes the viewer experience full and total authentic immersion as they discover this new world. When a character explains why he or she decided to become a nomad, for example, we feel a deeper level of empathy because it's not some line written by a screenwriter, it's that person's actual ethos. The film was based on a nonfiction book of the same name, which focused on an aging generation decimated by the Great Recession after 2008, who cannot retire traditionally and had to travel around taking up seasonal work across the country where they could. 
The text has a lot to say about victims of American capitalism and the escape from the hamster wheel of corporate ladders. That's deep source material, but Zhao does not approach it from an overtly political or preachy point of view. She chooses to show, not tell, the day-to-day lives of these people rather than impose some moral high ground. So it's basically verite documentary filmmaking, just with two actors and a plot layered on top. McDormand especially deserves credit for being such a generous performer in that regard, deferring to her scene partners and supporting them to the point where they shine in most scenes while her understated presence anchors the whole thing in place. Then, when she's called upon to take the movie on her shoulders, she does so effortlessly and exceptionally. She plays Fern, a woman who lost her husband, her home, and quite literally her entire town because the zip code was discontinued after the factory shut down. She's on a mission to figure out what her place in the world is after the tragedy, finding an unlikely companion in Strathairn's Dave. But their story often runs second or third priority to an exploration of the subculture, where the nomads park and what they eat and how they take care of their vans and how they go to the bathroom. And no, I do not mean that last one metaphorically, as you'll learn. (laughs) The result is something like making an impressionist painting out of a photograph. Wide-angle cameras pull in close to characters so that we can take in both the details of their faces and the grand vistas of nature behind them. We feel what they feel. It's deeply affecting, and when it was over, I certainly looked at the world a little differently. Now, the irony is not lost on me that the great avatars of the forgotten Middle America experience are a Chinese filmmaker, whose last two projects were Nomadland and The Writer, and an actress who has lived in New York City since the 1970s, last two projects Nomadland and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Don't for one second think that their lack of personal experience with the material led to anything other than the most respectful and real portrayal on the big screen. The more surprising element is that this movie is the current favorite to win Best Picture. It couldn't be further from a Hollywood movie, but in an era where campaigning for an Oscar is as important as having the right candidate, smaller and more earnest films like Moonlight or The Shape of Water become the most difficult films to criticize. And while we're at it, the least surprising element, that's that Zhao, one of the most promising and exciting young filmmakers working today, has chosen for her next project, Eternals, a blockbuster superhero movie set in space. (laughs) Man, if she can find a way to make cinema out of that and teach me something about the human condition while Angelina Jolie and Salma Hayek and... Kumail Nanjiani and Kit Harrington are shooting lightning bolts out of their fingers at each other, then she'll really have proven to be one of the greatest directors of this new generation. Okay, every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week, two something news. The first one is on Netflix. It's I Care A Lot. Now, if you're like me and Rosamund Pike's character from Gone Girl still haunts your dreams, then you must have been excited and a little frightened to find her going full psycho mode once again in a new movie, which was firmly fixed at number one on the Netflix top 10 for the last several days. It's a pretty clever concept, and the potential was there for a thoughtful cultural critique about the way this country commodifies the elderly, 
but instead it steers extremely hard into full-on spy slash action genre movie, pulpy to the point of ridiculousness, which honestly is Netflix's sweet spot. With all respect to Netflix's emergence as an awards juggernaut, the service is best when it provides you a laugh, a thrill, and a meme. Something you can enjoy in the background or watch while unwinding at the end of the day. And this is exactly that. And nothing more. Alright, the other something new this week is Alan V. Farrow, which is on HBO Max. Uh, This four-part documentary series about the marriage of Woody Allen and Mia Farrow will be released week by week, so expect at least a few lines here after each episode to debrief. This first installment was more damning for Alan than I had anticipated, even though there weren't really any new revelations so far. Alan clearly has an inappropriate affection for young girls, and even if it comes off more as him being a weirdo and a terrible father rather than an outright pedophile, it will be impossible for this definitive retelling not to permanently stain his legacy. I'm really curious what three more hours of content could actually reveal. For something old this week, I'm talking about Blood Simple. came out in 1984, and it is streaming right now on HBO Max. So before she was the cornerstone in the firmament of Hollywood, before she was taking home an Oscar for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, or taking home her other Oscar for Fargo, or stealing scenes in awesome movies for the past three decades, Frances McDormand was just an out-of-work stage actor in New York who scored a leading role in a tiny indie written and directed by these two quirky brothers. This Texas-set neo-noir is one of the most fully realized film debuts in cinema history, establishing McDormand and the Coen brothers as major creative forces in the years to come. Not only that, but McDormand fell in love with Joel Coen during the production, and the two have been together for over 35 years, which is a great story. But for the purposes of this newsletter, let's not gloss over the fact that this movie is fantastic, combining a compelling mystery with moments of quirky fun and tense terror. I introduced this movie to a friend last week and got confirmation that it still holds up brilliantly to modern audiences. Look, Matt mentioned the Coens again. Take a shot. All right, something to stream this week, another crowd favorite. It's on Hulu. It's The Nice Guys. (laughs) I've seen this movie a handful of times since checking it out in theaters in 2016. And each time I revisit it, I find new details and little jokes hidden in the cracks of this masterful noir story. Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe display incredible comedic chemistry. And the world of 1970s Los Angeles built around them is glamorous and scandalous and decadent. It's one of those movies where it's one of those movie worlds where you just want to step into it and live inside. Other than the fact that it's set in and around the pornography industry, well, in and it has drugs and of course the murders, but besides that, <laughs> the real credit belongs to writer director Shane Black who weaves the hilarious quippy dialogue into a twisty mystery plot that's honestly less about the destination and more about the fun we have along the way. It's simply one of the best purely entertaining popcorn movies of all time.
All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you again for listening. If you check out Nomadland this week, or for that matter, I Care A Lot, or the second episode of Alan vs. Pharaoh, Blood Simple, or The Nice Guys, yeah, let me know what you think of those movies. And also, if you have any suggestions for me, I would love to check them out and possibly review them in future episodes of this podcast. So get in touch with me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig or through my newsletter, which again is mattcraig.substack.com. Share the word with anyone who you think would enjoy these reviews and streaming suggestions. We still have a lot of good movies to come. Minari uh, over the course of this next week. And of course, once again, News of the World, which I still haven't watched. I think I'm going to actually try and wait it out. Uh, Wait out the $20 price tag, get it down to six. I don't know when that's going to be, but um, yeah, News of the World and Promising Young Woman will be on that same timeline as well, even though I I ponied up and paid the full 20 for that one. So my point is uh, lots of good movies still to come before April, which is when the Oscars hit, and Oscar voting actually starts officially on Friday. So (laughs) we have Oscar nominations coming. Can't wait for all of that. But guys, Until then, I guess I'll see you at the movies.